Uh, today, I'm going to tell you all a story. And it's a story that is so familiar to everybody in this room that the moment that I tell you the opening line in the story, every one of you are going to know, or most every one of you are going to know exactly the story that I'm telling. It's a story that every preacher who has ever preached has taught on this text. They've told this story. But in order to tell the story right, you have to set it in its context. You can't tell a text without establishing the context, establishing who were the characters that this story was originally written to. Because you do understand that when the Bible was written, don't you, that it wasn't, first of all, written to you or to me. In fact, we're maybe two or three or four down the line. It really was written to the people that it was intended to be written to first, and that was uh, the people that uh, were right there in Jesus' day. And so right when Jesus is telling this story, there are some characters there in this story, people that are listening in the audience to what Jesus is going to be saying. And so Jesus is there teaching, and then with him, and if you read from Luke chapter 15 and uh, verse 1, it tells us the context of what's happening. And I, while I have my uh, big reader glasses on my head, I don't really need them because this is my giant print Bible. You know, everybody know what I'm saying? It's my giant print Bible. Thank you. Thank you for that. Amen. All right. Here it is. Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered or murmured, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the characters and the audience in this uh, in this scene, Jesus is teaching, and then you have the sinners and tax collectors on one side who've gathered around to hear Jesus, and on the other side, you have those who are Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Two extremes. So on the one side, when you hear the word tax collector and sinner, we lose a lot of that just by the generations that have passed. Because when I say the word sinner, you all might think what I think. Of course, we're all sinners, right? So we all just throw ourselves right in the middle of this boat. Romans 3.23 says, we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. And that's true. Uh, you know, we like to think like, you know, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Wouldn't you like to be a sinner to be a sinner? You know, remember that old Dr. Pepper commercial? Be a pepper? Anyway, so uh, I obviously dated myself there. But, uh, but anyway, so sinners and tax collectors, and here, here they are. Now, when you think about sinner, I want you to put it in the context of what actually was being said in the first century. Because to be considered a sinner would, be, would have been, in their way, the most, most despicable type of sinners that would have been gathered around Jesus that day. Uh, the prostitutes would gather around Jesus. The tax collectors gathered around Jesus. In fact, those who had illnesses, many times those who had been healed, would gather around Jesus. And by the way, it was well, well thought in that day that if you had some ailment or something happened to you in some type of physical ailment, that more than likely it had something to do with sin in your life. Remember when the disciples encountered the blind man and they asked, who, uh, whose sin caused this, this man or his uh, family before him, the generations before him? And Jesus said, neither. And so he was trying to dispel some rumors that they had. So when you were a sinner, you were considered an outcast in society. And uh, every one of them would have felt that way. Not only that, but tax collectors. Now when you think tax collector, you think of the most famous tax collectors in the Bible, which would be who? 
Zacchaeus, right. And so when we think about Zacchaeus, we think about what, number one characteristic of Zacchaeus? He's a short little guy, right? He's like Danny DeVito, and here he is, and he's climbing up the sycamore tree. And if you were raised in church at all, you remember seeing that little song in junior church, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And as the Savior passed that way, no, he climbed up in a tree. No, that's not, that's not it. That's not it. It's close to that, though. And he says, as Jesus was coming by, what? He said, hey, Zacchaeus, you're coming to my house today. And, uh, or I'm going to your house today. So we think of it like, oh, this is no big deal, tax collectors. I mean, he must be such a little, little lovable fella, you know? It's not the case. In fact, the tax collectors represented the Roman government. And the Roman government was the most ruthless, brutal regime. In fact, they, they ruled most of the known world at that time. Well, how do you keep control of the known world? How do you do that? They did it with a brutal army. In fact, outside of the Bible, we're told in histories that there were cities that, that the Romans would take over, would pillage, would loot, would take the people out of the city. And we're told of one city in particular where about 20,000 people were taken out of the city, men, women, and children were taken out, were stripped, and then were crucified. And for 40 miles leading into the town, here are all these crosses with all the people, the inhabitants of that city. And so when you think about the Romans, you have to think about the brutal regime that was there in that day. And the tax collectors, how do you pay for all that army? How do you feed them? You have to take taxes from the people. And so the tax collectors would take from the people. Not only that, not only did they represent this ruthless regime, but also they would take more than the government required because that's how they would get paid. And so tax collectors were hated people. Now in this seat, we're going to call this seat the seat of selfishness because the Bible says that that attitude of sin is one that separates us from God. And it's every time that you think, I know better than God. I know better than His law. I know better than what God has. And so it's a selfish attitude. And God says, that the people, those people, the tax collectors and sinners, they were there that day as Jesus was teaching. But not only them. We're also told in the text that part of the audience were those who were Pharisees and teachers of the law. If these guys were the, the varsity team for sinners and tax collectors, these were the, the varsity team for the law keepers. These were the ones that saw the law as something that needed to be protected. And so we'll put on this chair the name self-righteous because Jesus oftentimes addressed the Pharisees. In fact, many times he was harder on the Pharisees than he was on the sinners and the tax collectors. In fact, we see Jesus oftentimes talking to the Pharisees who had this attitude of, yeah, it says don't, walk or don't work on the Sabbath. We're going to add to that law. We're going to tell you what work is. Work is you can't even walk a mile on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees, they added to the law. There was no way anybody could ever keep the law perfectly, God's law, and they certainly couldn't keep the law of man. And so here we have in this audience the self-righteous Pharisees, tax collectors, I mean Pharisees and, and teachers of the law. And on the other side, you have the tax collectors and the sinners, those who are selfish and Jesus teaches both of them that day now the story that he teaches like I said is one of the most familiar stories in all of scripture and it starts this way a man had two sons 
one of them he describes as the younger, one he describes as the older. And I hope by now you understand this is the story of the prodigal son. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus addresses these two groups of people by talking about a lost coin, uh, which when it's found, there's great celebration. Uh, uh, and then they talk about a lost sheep that the, the father or the shepherd was willing to go out and leave the 99 and find the lost sheep and then bring it back. And then there was great rejoicing. And then this story in, cha- in chapter 15, verse 11, of the lost uh, son, of the son who was wayward. And so here's what the text says. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So this is the younger son. He seats, sits in the, in the seat of selfishness. And the young son goes to his father and says, Father, I want my share of the money. I want it right now. Now that was hugely disrespectful to the father. It would be bad today if one of your children came to you and said, hey, could you just give me my money now because, you know, I'd rather have that right now while I can use it, you know, and then who cares about you? But it was very disrespectful in their day. In fact, much of the estate usually went to the person who we're going to find sitting in this seat, which is the older son. The older brother is usually who it went to. So all of you who are older, raise your hand real high and proud. Of course, you do it real fast because you all are all perfectionists and natural born leaders. Amen. All right. So we know. We know what's happening here. But the, the younger son is the one who goes to him. Younger sons tend to be more spontaneous and these kind of things. And, uh, and they go to them and say, hey, I want my money now. In fact, what he's saying is, dad, I don't care if you live or die. I want my share of the inheritance right now. Very disrespectful to the father. And so he goes to the father and says, I want my money. Now, the dad could have said what any dad could have said. He could have looked at his son and said, "Uh, no, you know what's going to happen? Go to your room. You know what I mean? Dads, you could have said, you know, go to your room and uh, give me your iPod because you're grounded. All right? He could have done that. But this is a story of a grace-filled father. In fact, instead of calling it the son of a, or the, the story of a prodigal son, it might be called the story of a forgiving father because he demonstrated grace and he allowed his son to take his share of the inheritance and go ahead and leave. However much that might have hurt the father, he allowed the son to leave. Now then the Bible says, not long after that, the younger son got all he had together and he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. So we're going to put the son over here. So he leaves, he takes all of his stuff with him, he gets his backpack, he leaves, he takes his dad's money, and he goes off into a faraway country. And here's one thing I've learned, and I've watched it in people's lives. Those who tend to be selfish, those who tend to want to move away from the Father for one reason or another, some sin habit in their life, some selfish attitude in their life, they have a tendency to go, I don't want anything to do with the Father, and they want to move as far away as they possibly can from his influence. That's why when people get caught up in sin, many times they don't come to church for quite a while because they're trying to distance themselves from the Father. Well, lest we're too hard on this guy, uh, we have to all be reminded that there are all times where each of us have attitudes of sin and selfishness. Is that true? I mean, even as we are uh, kind of growing up and we're being raised and we get older, now we get into our own life, we still realize that we're, we still find ourselves falling back into old patterns, old challenges, or old behaviors. 
That happens to all of us. It was just a couple weeks ago we had that uh, lock-in here at church, third through sixth graders, and, uh, and it was a lot of fun, and Lisa did a great job organizing. We had something around 28 third through sixth graders. How many of you are glad that Lisa organized that? Amen. It wasn't you, all right? It was not you. And, uh, and so we get here, and she has it all planned out. And she tells me, she says, now you're going to lead worship for the kids around the campfire. It was a little fake campfire with little sparkly, uh, you know, these little things that you can turn on. Looks like a candle, but it's really not a candle. Safe for third through sixth graders, all right? I'm leading them in worship that night. And uh, that was great. And she said, now listen, uh, you're also going to be watching the boys tonight. And I'm like, okay, that's going to be great. You're the only guy, who's a man, adult, who's going to be watching these boys. And by the way, there was like six girls, seven girls. There was like 21 boys or something like that. I don't remember what it was. I'm like, okay, that, that's, that's great. I can, I can do that. I said, but listen, um, we have concrete coming in the morning, sweetie, and, and i got to do the concrete at our house. It's supposed to be there at 8.30. She said, oh, 8.30, you're teaching in the morning at 8.30. I said, I'm teaching at 8.30. She said, yeah, I told you two weeks ago. And I said, oh, I'm sure you probably did. But I'm like, no, you didn't. I'm in my mind, I'm like, I know you didn't, but she did. I'm sure she did. This is a, it's a problem with my personality, all right? And so she's like, you're teaching tomorrow. I think, oh, okay, what am I going to teach on? And, and so she tells me the theme. theme is love. Okay, great. Okay, I got it. All right. So I get back, I go home for a little while uh, after I do the worship that night. I go home, I help to form the concretes, because you got to put concrete forms up. I saw it on YouTube. And I did that, I get back here at midnight, all right? And this is just as the boys are about to go down to sleep. At least that's what you'd like to think. They're coming in here, and I've got, most of them are fine, but I've got two of them that are a couple real pistols. No names will be mentioned unless you want to know later. But anyway, they come in, and I mean, these two little guys, I mean, they're just going all over the place. And I'm trying to say, hey, you need to settle down. You need, And I'm trying to get all the boys together, and these two boys are rousing everybody else up, and, uh, and they're running all over the place. I say, stop, stop, stop. I say, now listen. Uh, we get, I'm going to count down five minutes, and at one minute, you guys are all going to be quiet. Okay, I knew this wasn't going to happen, but at least it was my first shot at it. And I said, at five minutes, five, four, three, two, one. They're still talk, talk, talking. I walk out there. You know, I come back in. Hey, who's talking? There's somebody else talking. Next time I come in, all right, finally, a couple minutes later. Who's talking? I'm like a drill sergeant now. I'm like, I'm going to put the fear of God in these little third through sixth graders. Who's talking? And one of the kids like, I am. You know, uh, it's one of my pistol kids. You know, I'm like. Get out of here in the lobby. I'm going to talk to you. I'm like, I got out there. I'm like, hey, listen, other, listen, other parents will play games. I'm not playing games. I know your mother's number, and I will call her, and I'm pretty sure at 1239, she's not going to want to get a call, and I'll go in there and go to bed. But because I pulled them out, all the rest of the boys are like, oh, my gosh, he's going to pull me out. <laughs> so that was fun. They all go to bed. It was 2 o'clock in the morning when I finally went to bed at a couch over here next door. Woke up at 5 in the morning. Because I was thinking, i got to call my concrete guy. i got to move that back. i got to think, what am I going to teach here today? And then i got to go. And so 7 o'clock, I walk over here. I coach CrossFit at, for 7 to 8. Then I'm like, Lisa, I help get the boys up. And then they're getting breakfast together. Then I go up to the house. I'm like, i got to get my drill because i got to have it charged because i got to finish those forms for my concrete guy. comes at 10 o'clock. And uh, so I take off, and I get those boys ready. I take off. I go home. It's really super foggy. You remember that day a couple weeks ago? Super foggy in the morning. I take off. I go home. I get my drill. I'm ready to go. My dog is in the lit, in the laundry room. I notice that the laundry room door has been open. We left him all night in the laundry room. He should have been fine. He doesn't like to be left alone. Somehow he opens the door. He always does this. Gets up on his hind legs, actually opens the door. He's like a little person. Anyway, I didn't think anything of it. I said, bad dog, don't do it. I walked out and, uh, and went out, and I took the drill, and now I'm driving back to church. It's 50 out here on this road, by the way. Might even be 55, okay? And uh, I'm following a lady who's going 30 miles an hour, okay? It's foggy. It's 30 miles an hour. i got to get back here 
uh, for, uh, for an 8.30 teaching, okay? And so I'm starting to drive, and I'm following this lady, okay? And I'm driving with her, and she's in front of me, and I'm getting sort of frustrated. Why? Because she's going 30 in like a 55. It's very, very irritating. And so I'm beginning to realize, you know, that I'm moving a little bit farther away from the father in that moment, okay? And so I'm driving behind her. Now we're getting down here to about where the railroad tracks are, and I'm really starting to get frustrated with her at that point, and you'll never guess what I did. I, I laid on the horn. I mean, I mean, I know, it's bad, it's bad. I didn't know it was a lady. It just looked like a little person. Could have been Zacchaeus for all I knew. So anyway, I'm following, and I'm, I'm like thinking, and I'm like, eh, you know, and I'm like, she's not moving any faster uh, at that point. And, um, and so I'm moving, and now she turns the corner, and she pulls into J-Mart, and I, know, I see her for the first time. A little woman looked like she's about 90 years old, and I felt so bad, and then it dawned on me. It wasn't very humorous in the moment, but I did remember that my text that morning with all of these third through sixth grade kids was going to be love in action, not words. Love in action and not words. And uh, so I moved farther from the, fa- from the father. But uh, one other thing I, I want you to know, I'll probably tell this story again some other time later, but when I got back home and was actually doing the concrete and we had a showing show up at our house, they went into our house, they came out a few minutes later, and uh, they said, hey, nice house, but uh, listen, your dog made a mess by your back door. I went, okay, thanks for letting me know. Lisa calls me and says, anything I need to do for the next showing? I was like, yeah, we got the dog left to drop in. I'm out here doing concrete. You can go. She comes home. She comes out. She picks up the floor mat from the back of the house. She walks outside and, like, Mike dropped it in front of me. Boom. It was the biggest pile of dog poop I had ever seen in my life. I was like, I can't believe this happened. Not only that, he had walked through it all through the basement, and this family must have been thinking, this, this house smells like poop. And here's my point. <laughs> Sometimes you can get so busy and so distracted, you don't even see the poop in your house. Anybody know what I'm saying? We've all been there. There are times where every single one of us have found ourselves, either momentarily or in a pattern in our life, walking away, farther away from the Father, and that was where this son was. Now, what we also don't always realize is the consequences of our sin and behavior, and this boy certainly didn't. As it says, he set out and he went to a faraway country, and what did he do? He squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen in that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This son, who had walked away from his father, who had taken all of his money, wasted his father's money on wild living, sinful living, and now here he is. He's so desperate, he wants to eat whatever the pigs are eating. Now, let's push pause on the story for a second, and let's come back to the context of the story. What's the context? Jesus is teaching the sinners and tax collectors and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Put yourself in the seat of each one of them as they're hearing the story. If you're in the seat of those who are sinners and, uh, and, and those who are tax collectors, what must you be thinking right now? You might be... Put it, the further he tells the story, you might be lowering your head. You might be kicking the dirt. You might be thinking, oh, man, he's talking about me. I see me in that story. I'm the one who's walked away. But if you're over here, 
in the chair of self-righteousness, Pharisees and tax collectors, I, I, I have a feeling I know where you are too. You're probably looking right past Jesus and looking right at the chair of selfishness and saying, I can't wait till Jesus gives it to him now. Boy, he's, he's in the pigsty now. That's where he deserves to be. I mean, after all, he's a sinner. He deserves to be over there. And so there's this real smugness, this real self-righteous attitude. In fact, Jesus told the story so much in that way that, listen, he even puts this guy with the pigs, and these individuals, they'd have nothing to do with pigs. So that's where he deserves to be. They're just as good as the pigs anyway. So self-righteous. And so Jesus tells this story to each one of these groups. And then he pulls it back and he he throws out the big shocking moment in the story. The one that these guys certainly will not forget. Look what it says next. It says, when he came to his senses, who? The one who was selfish. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am, way over here, and I'm starving to death. And he said, I will set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, what? Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer even worthy to be called your son. And so he got up, he started out to his father, and as he's going, he's rehearsing his speech. Anybody ever do that? You did something wrong, you're on your way home, you're like, oh man, i got to tell my parents something, what is it going to be? Okay, I've got this, I've got that, it really wasn't me, it was them, it's not mine, it's theirs. Okay, this is going to be the deal, I've got the story down, okay? And so this is what we're sharing with him. And here's the critical moment in the story. These guys are shocked, they can't believe what's happening. So this one is sputtering out his his story, but look what it says. He gets up and he goes to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The father runs to the son. Friends, this is where Christianity is unique among all world religions. In every other world religion, it's all about what can I do? How can I be better? How can I work my way back to God? How do I get my way back to God? And, and, and knowing that that's, that's futile thinking in Christianity. God himself gets up, runs. It's the only place in the, in the Bible where we see God running. He runs to the side of his son. And it tells us something about the heart of God, doesn't it? That God is the great forgiver of our sins. This story is way more about God's grace than it is about a wayward son. And the father runs to his son, and he kisses him, and he throws his arm around him. And as the son begins to sputter out this speech, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please, maybe one of your hired hands. His words get muffled by the chest of his father as his father holds him in close. And he realizes, I don't even have the ability to sputter out this poor little speech. Uh, His father has compassion on him. Look what he does for him. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they begin to celebrate. They begin to have this great party. Give him the ring of the family back on his finger to let him know he's not a servant. He's a son. Give him the shoes to let him know, hey, we, we, we want him to be part of the luxurious family that we get to be a part of. He gets to be part of the inheritance once again that we all get to celebrate together. Let's get a steak. Let's have a big steak dinner and so this is a great celebration 
And it tells us again about the heart of the Father. He says, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how far you've run, there's always a place where you can come home. Meanwhile, out in the field is the other son. He's sitting in the seat of self-righteousness, and we see that he's uh, coming and he hears this music. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near to the house, he hears music and dancing. He's like, this is an unusual occurrence. I've been in this house a long time. I don't remember hearing a lot of music and dancing. And so he's hearing the dancing. He's hearing the music. And he goes immediately to one of the servants, and he asks, what is going on? And this is just a side note. But one thing I've noticed about self-righteous people, people who think they've got it all together, people who look down on others, people who, like, listen to K-Law. See what I did there? K-Law? Okay. The law. Anyway. They've got, they've got a, they've got a, I don't know, they've, they've got a menorah on their bumper. You know, I mean, they're really faithful people, okay? And uh, one thing I noticed about these individuals is they have a tendency to look right over at that, not see anything about their own lives, but simply be condemning of the others. Instead of doing what Jesus said, looking at the, uh, ignoring, they ignore the plank in their own eye and they notice the speck in their brother's eye. That was the self-righteous attitude. And one of the things I've noticed about the self-righteous, rather than praying to the Father on behalf of the sons who are wayward, they have a tendency to talk to somebody else about the sins of the sons. Does that make sense to you? They have a tendency to murmur, as the Bible says, about the other sons, which the Bible calls gossip and clearly condemns, but that's what happens. They talk about the sins of others rather than talking to the Father about that or about their own sins. Rather than even acknowledging what they have, they simply talk to somebody else about what somebody else has, and that's not okay. So the son sees what's going on. And he says, uh, he goes to his, the servant, and the servant says, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. I'm not going to the party. Isn't it funny how we like to be punishers of ourselves, you know? At this great, massive party, and he just goes, I'm not going in there. They're having way too much fun for me, man, you know? I don't like steak right now. So he stays outside. So his father leaves the party and goes to this son. And the Bible says he pleaded with him to come in. He entreated him. He begged him, come to the party. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. See how the self-righteous, he did do a lot of good things in his life. You realize that. But he had one problem he couldn't get over. And so he says, I never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he doesn't call him his brother, calls him this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Why would you do that? And one of the things I've also noticed is those who have a self-righteous attitude have trouble forgiving other people. One of the ways to know in your own heart if you have gravitated from a selfish heart to more of a self-righteous heart, is you know that you are holding on to bitterness or a lack of forgiveness for other people. And that's where he was at. He wasn't willing to forgive his younger brother, and he wasn't willing to celebrate with him. 
Now look what else it says. It says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And what he's saying to the other son is this. I forgive you too for your self-righteous attitude. I, I want to involve you in the table as well. Everybody's invited. Everybody's welcome. I want my family to be all back together. I want all of us to be celebrating at the party together. I want there to be unity between my family. I want the self-righteous son, I want the selfish son to all come together. And I love this about the heart of God, the gracious father, who not only forgives the selfishness of the one son, he also forgives the self-righteousness of the other son. And what he tells me is, whosoever will may come. Everybody's invited. Everybody can come to the table. Now, I want you to think about, while we watch this next video clip, I want you to think about which chair you're seated in today. You may have shifted from one or the other over time. But I want you to think about that as we watch this. This is a modern-day depiction of what I just described. Check it out.
I don't know about you guys, but that moves me because every single person in this room knows somebody who has been wayward, somebody who's a prodigal. Every single one of us can think about right now somebody in our lives who has either been there before or is there right now, somebody that we pray for, somebody, God, I, I just want them to come back home. That story moves us because every single one of us in this room, in one way or another, we have been that son. We have been that daughter. At one time or another in our life, we have been in that place, and we have known what it feels like to be far from God and now be coming home. That story moves us because some of us in this room, we have more compassion for the boy on the video than we do for people in our own lives that we have found ourselves not forgiving. We've found ourselves laying judgment upon. We've been in the seat of self-righteousness. And we find that we're moved by that story because there's nothing like seeing a father run to embrace his son and his child. That's why that moves me. To watch the dad get up and actually move with compassion and sprint to see his son is, is such a powerful moment because we realize that's the heart of God for you and for me. He loves you that much. That he ran from heaven to earth. He gave up his life. He gave up all the trappings of heaven to come as a baby, to live a sinless life, to face a brutal death. All because he wanted his son to come home. So what seat are you in today? Because every one of them, both of them, need the grace and forgiveness of God. Nobody's left out. This is an all play. If you're thinking, boy, I wish somebody else... Boy, I, I, they need this, not me. You need to move out of the seat of self-righteousness because that's where you are right now. If you're thinking, boy, I need this message, well, you've moved closer to the heart of a grace-filled God who loves every single person in this world.